0: Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coman, still in the safe house, on the line with my co host, the original Troubled Man for tr- Troubled Times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny.
1: Hey, man. What's happening? Oh, thank you. Thank oh, yeah. You're
0: getting some applause already. All yeah, right. Thank uh, you, uh, thank yeah, you, yeah, thank, thank like you. you, thank you got, got yeah, we like this guest. He's got some life in him. Yeah. Um, it's a busy week, man. How about, how about for you?
1: Yeah, it's been pretty busy. Um, you know, I work at the uh, the big university here. Um, and all the, they're trying to make it, like, back to normal.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> you know, and um, it's all going to be shut down probably in a couple of weeks. But they want that money, so they have to get those kids in those dorm rooms before they tell them to stay in the dorm rooms and don't leave. But... um Um, yeah, it's been pretty busy, and you're busy?
0: Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, after I talked to you last, I had a couple more gigs on the weekend, and then actually I'm, I'm into this period where, uh, it seems like a two-week shutdown of, of sorts, you know, I mean, I know it's not, it's not called, but all of my gigs that I had between, for the next two weeks have been canceled in one, for one reason or another, so, so, um, I don't have that, but, uh, but man, I got a, a, a really uh, shocking call yesterday um, from uh, someone called and left a message and said, uh, uh, Mr. Komen, uh, could you please call me? It's uh, someone from a, a, a branch of my bank, but the branch was in Atlanta. And this oh. person was calling. And she said, uh, could you call? It's kind of urgent. So, okay. So I call her back. She says, uh, ask me a couple of questions. And pretty quickly determines that, she says, well, someone came into this branch with uh, an I, a Louisiana ID. I can't rem- remember whether she said driver's license or ID. But she said what looked like a Louisiana, you know, legit ID had his picture on, on it, had all of your information, uh, <laughs> had your bank account number, attempted to uh, change the contact Phone number on your bank account. I I said, well, go ahead and punch in your social security number. He was able to do that. Oh
1: my goodness!
0: But hmm. but he had to read it off of his phone to do it, which made her a little bit suspicious.
1: Oh! Um,
0: and so she started querying him about some other things. Well, do you know who else is on this account? And he's like, oh, I don't think anybody. But you know, I have Alzheimer's, so you know, my memory isn't <laughs> so good. So he's got another an accomplice with him. The accomplice is is talking on the phone. They come up with my wife's name uh, on the account. And but by this time the, the teller who's obviously pretty sharp is go, is realizes something is up and you know uh, makes these people nervous enough and she said the guy was getting all indignant going, "Well, I think I feel I feel like I'm being disrespected here." And uh, you know and she's you know, I don't know exactly how it played out, but anyway, the people left. And then she called me to say that wasn't you, was it? I said, No, it wasn't me. Um, but man, oh man. So you know, I'm freaking out. God, who has my information? How what has what you know, now of course all that stuff is available on the dark web or maybe Renee, just-
1: Renee, before you go on anymore, uh-huh. I just wanna say belated april fools
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow wow well that was well played manny because that you really uh really hung me out to dry there for a good long time um
1: no that's scary man that's scary i don't know how that happens but i guess it happens to people every day you know
0: well, they, uh,
1: you know, I don't know. Maybe i you, is your son, your son's out of the country. Right. So yeah, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't him. Right. Well,
0: no, of course it's not my son. Well,
1: you don't know. I mean, cause mm-hmm. I fucked up with my parents millions
0: of times. Yeah, no, we have a different kind of relationship than, than that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, um, so, so you know, okay. Uh, what do you do? So, one thing you can do is you go on all the major, the three major credit uh, bureaus and put a fraud alert, and and uh, you know you can uh, freeze your credit so no one can open an account in your name. And what bank is this? Well, I don't want to mention the bank because uh. I don't want to give out any more information than that. Um, but uh, when I went to do that on on these 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 uh, credit bureaus, you know, like whatever it is, uh, Equifax, uh, Experion, TransUnion, those are the big three. Now, the, the government requires them to uh, provide a free credit report to, to every person on a yearly basis during normal times. Since the pandemic has hit, now they're, they're offering a weekly credit report because fraud is so rampant right now.
1: Hmm because of the pandemic fraud is rampant That's
0: Yeah, I guess people have time on their hands. Maybe well, I know one thing with with the uh the stimulus uh checks that went out, you know, a lot of yeah. people filed to, or or the uh, unemployment um you know, supplement, a lot of people were filing unemployment claims other and other people You filed names.
1: unemployment,
0: didn't you? Well, yeah, I was unemployed. Um but uh, but I mean, filing it in other people's names is what I'm saying. And so there's been a lot of uh, identity theft associated with, with these uh, these stimulus um, uh, efforts. But uh, yeah, apparently, like I said, it's it's so rampant that, that they went from a yearly to a, a weekly requirement that you can you can get a, re- a credit report every week. On well, yourself.
1: you should. This bank teller who caught this you, you should buy buy that person a, a case of beer or something man Absolutely
0: send her a fruit basket yeah yeah she, yeah, she was she was a crackerjack you jack.
1: should yeah you should do that Buy her a case of beer and some flowers and and anytime you're in her city she can come see you for free
0: Put her on the guest list that's a good yeah, idea Yeah put and, her you know,
1: on the guest list and you know maybe she's hot you know you never know Well <laughs> I don't know man <laughs> You know, <laughs> she could be a looker, man. You well, she, she know. Said Get it she, together,
0: man. She had a lovely voice, I'll, I'll, I'll give that oh, to her.
1: Oh yeah. And she's from Georgia
0: yeah yeah she's a, she's a Georgia uh, girl. Well, I don't know where she's from, but uh, she's living in Georgia uh, so anyway that's that's my uh, that's how I occupied a full day that I thought was going to be kind of relaxing, so instead I had a stress headache and uh, you know dealt with all This that. was but today that was yesterday. Oh yes. yesterday yes, okay. but I was still able to uh, get the new podcast out today didn't didn't uh, slow down our schedule or our, our uh, productivity. Who was
1: our guest last week? I don't even remember. I've been so busy.
0: Pete Gordon. Keith Gordon, yes. yeah, Green.
1: he was brothers of Keith Gordon, the actor, right?
0: No, they may be uh, cousins or something. No, he's uh, 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 the uh, boogie woogie piano player, a uh, veteran of the uh, Mojo Nixon band. And
1: uh, do you remember and, Keith Gordon as an actor? He was fabulous. Man.
0: I don't. What would I have known him from?
1: He was in uh, Christine, that Stephen King. I never guy. saw that movie. Oh man, that's a fucking great movie.
0: I, I'm not a horror movie fan.
1: It's Personally. this is not like a slash them um, you know this is mm. really good, this is really it's good. It's Creepy movie. though, right? Oh yeah, it's really see, creepy. see. I don't like
0: I don't like the creepy movies either. Even oh, if it's, oh
1: yeah. man, it's so good. Keith Gordon, Harry Dean Stanton's in it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, All and
1: right. uh, um, I forget who else that chick who was the uh, she was a Laker girl I think, hmm. Laker cheerleader. Yeah, she was good.
0: It's a uh, great. Paula movie. Abdul.
1: No, no, not oh, okay. Paula Abdul. She was a Laker uh, girl, though, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, Paula Abdul was a Laker oh, okay. girl. But not So not was Christine Michael Christine. Jackson. Michael Jackson was <laughs> a Laker girl, Okay, too. but
0: again, he was not in Christine.
1: No, he was not in Christine. Okay. I think you would like the film, man. It's really I might good. have to
0: give it a I might have to give it a shot, man. It's about a car. I re- I know that much. It's a Stephen King yeah. novel it's based yeah. on, right? It's about a car, a possessed car. Yeah. Seemed kind of absurd to me, but you know, uh, again, I oh, guess you got to no. you got to suspend. And judgment. it's got a
1: really good soundtrack. I think you would okay. enjoy. It's got a really good soundtrack. But anyway, so
0: Yeah, so what's up with you?
1: Uh well, I'm just uh you know, I'm in the midst of my campaign. I'm Right. I'm uh, talking to people. They want to know how I feel about this or that. And, you know, I, I'm up till the wee hours of the evening answering their questions. Mm. So, you know, because everything's, you know, it used to be they, I could just go see these people and they'd interview me. But now because of uh, the COVID, it's all done via the uh, the computers now and stuff
0: like okay. that. Okay.
1: So, which I kind of like because it gives me more time to think about my answer. Uh-huh. as opposed to just, you know, them sitting there going, okay, what do you feel about this? And you got to come up with an answer right then and there, you know. Uh, and uh, so this is a little better. And uh, my answers are, as always, you know, very uh, very uh, disturbing uh-huh. and comical <laughs> okay. at the same time. Okay. Um, you know, it's amazing how I, I didn't even know some of these organizations. You know, you don't realize how many organizations Organizations exist until you run for office, and all of a sudden you're bombarded by these these organizations. You know, like uh, you know, there's uh, the uh, Better Life for New Orleans East, and then there's uh, uh, Housing for Mid City. Hmm. You know, affordable housing for Mid City. Then there's you know, uh, you know, uh, Lakeview Street organizations, and they all want to know how you're going to do. You know, and and for the most part, I don't think some of these organizations are that big. I mean, there might be maybe five people in this organization.
0: Right. Yeah. It That's, could just be two or one. Yeah. Yeah. Just you, 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 uh, you, you, I don't file, know. File for a nonprofit status. You make a logo and yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And, uh, uh,
1: so you don't know who you're dealing with and, you know, uh, me, cause you know, my, my staff is basically me and, and my campaign manager, Dave Clemens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um it's very it's you can't you can't answer them all you know sure. you can't answer them all uh but i try and so that that takes up time and stuff like that uh but i tried i try to do the best i can you know um but anyway you know and sometimes you get so nervous you know uh you, you want to do the right thing you want to say the right thing and all that kind of stuff but but i want to get back to uh, uh COVID. Yes. You know, COVID's going nuts right now, but I I saw a story that kind of like, you know, it's like really this this fucking disgusts me. This story, there are people who are so against the vaccine, but people all over the country,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm sure the world, but in this country since we're so divided, and we have the we have that, that, that those constituents of the guy with the orange hair. Who still believe that uh, you know drinking bleach would be better than you know you know putting it in your laundry? Okay, you know, that, kind of, that kind of stuff. But there are people. And I saw this story. There are people who are going to get the vaccine, like in these small towns, like in the Midwest or maybe the uh, the, the Northwest. You know, mm-hmm. where they have the militias and stuff like that. Right. There are people going to these places. And everyone kind of knows each other. You know, they all know each other. It's you know, it's a one horse town. Right. You know, they all know. It. There are people going to get the vaccine, but when they go get the vaccine, they tell the nurse or the doctor, they say, "Don't tell anyone I took the got the vaccine.
0: Don't tell them. Jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, you know? I don't
1: want people to know I got the vaccine because I'm an anti-vaxer. I am an anti vaxxer i do not believe in it. But yet, give me the shot. Oh,
2: you know?
1: brother. You know. Um, so that's really strange and sad. And it's disturbing, yes. It's very disturbing. You know, it's like, uh, uh, don't tell people I masturbate in the theater. You know, because <laughs> you know, uh, I was at the movies with you. You know, you were four rows ahead of me, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, but anyway, um, that's well, really disturbing, I think. But then again, it's good that they're getting tested. I mean it's, getting the vaccine. It's
0: good that they're getting the vaccine. I'll, I will piggyback on that and say that I was around someone uh this past uh past few days who I would have I totally assumed this person had been vaccinated, you know, their the, everything about them would make you think that they were a Bernie Sanders supporter, they're educated person, but you know, they're but they're kind of a hippie, kind of a hillbilly a little bit and after about an hour and a half of us being in very close proximity. They let me, they, they reveal that, well, no, I, I haven't been vaccinated and I don't plan to be, I'm not going to be oh, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, wow. Well, Now you're going to tell me, I mean, I guess you just got to ask everybody. You just can't assume anything, man. It's, and, and that was really that my heart really sank when it, when I found that out. Cause I thought, Jesus, if, if we're struggling with, with this, uh, element of the population you know i don't i don't know how we get out of this man i mean we this you know this could be with us for years at the at that rate you know if people
1: might be yeah it might be because the population i mean you know 100 years ago when they had that uh pandemic or you know whatever it was you know half the population you know it wasn't like now the united states you know 100 years ago was you know i don't know 100 million now it's like Nine billion people here,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah, a lot more people now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, just try to get it together, people. I don't know. It, it's 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 sad, but uh, you know, what's sad hmm. is that whole Afghanistan thing that's going
0: on. Oh man, yeah. I don't think we have enough time to get into that here. Well, I guess all I gotta say about waiting.
1: yeah, all I gotta say about that is, you know, that part of the world has been that way for a billion years. You know what what did what did anyone expect? If it wasn't, you know, maybe if it was the the NATO in there for 20 years, trying to train these armies and try to keep the peace and all that kind of stuff, if NATO left, the same thing would have happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, any,
1: any powerhouse country, it could have been Poland training these people.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's it's the, uh, the graveyard of empires is how it's known, you know, since the time of the Romans, it's been, uh, un, ungovernable. It's, uh you know the people right. live, living in the uh, the bronze age there still so um. i don't
1: understand how they keep having such children though you see this footage of all these kids and stuff well like you know it's so it's, is not it's just rape it's just lots of rape
0: well i mean there's a lot of uh, you know uh, arranged marriages and you know women are are uh, property and you know it's it's uh, you know the biology still holds the up. only
1: good thing to come out of this whole thing is that i know uh, heroin will be back and easy to attain
0: Hmm, I don't think it ever went away, Manny. Yeah, yeah I think no, but it, I think it's
1: going to be really good. And I, you know how I love heroin, man.
0: Sure, I sure. But I you know, love it,
1: man. Yeah. I can't get enough of it. Well, oh, I mean, stuff. I think
0: you did get enough of it at one time. It seems like yeah. that uh, has to be in the rear view mirror at this point.
1: Well, you never know, man. Well, no, you no. A, you never know. Manny. Well, that's okay. It. So before we get to our guests, I mm-hmm. want to ask you a question. Um, um, you know, I do the... The shop, the grocery shopping for the family, for the most part, because it's a way to get out of the house. Mm-hmm, sure, and, you know, and um, go see my mistress and on aisle five. Okay. Know? Um. But anyway, and uh, that's the uh, that's the pet food aisle. Oh. Anyway, okay. um, I noticed I I, I notice as a while. Ago, you know, like, so many products out there are, you know, they give you, it's bilingual, you know, it's like you get a box of this, a pasta mixer, whatever, and they'll give you the instructions in English and Spanish,
0: all, right.
1: all that kind of stuff. And it's, for the most part, a, a lot of products are um, English-Spanish,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. it's just where we live, you know, where, where we are. But why is Kleenex English and French? Why is that? Is it? You know, yeah, every time I go to buy Kleenex... It's always, uh, you have the English and the French.
0: Didn't seem like you'd need any instructions in any language. Yeah. seems pretty self-explanatory. But, uh, but apparently
1: uh, it's English and French, and I don't get it. If the tr- anyone out there in a troubled nation, maybe our guests might have a, uh, an opinion on this. Okay. I don't get it. It's, All you know, right. I don't understand why. Yeah,
0: no, it's the first I've heard of that. Yeah. Troubled nation. If you have any, uh, any insight into this, uh, yeah, write in, you know, a uh, troubled men podcast at gmail.com. It's a good, or, you know, messages through uh, Facebook or, you know, right. You yeah. Let us medium. know because I'm
1: very confused about why is just Kleenex, uh, English and French.
0: Yeah. And, and why do we need instructions for Kleenex again?
1: Right. Why, why, why? So, right. Okay. That's just—I just wanted to put that out there. Right, that, right. a, that's the a, kind of stuff that keeps a, me up at night. It's a head
0: scratcher, man. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I, I lay in bed watching a moth die in a lamp while I'm thinking about this stuff. Sure, bro. sure. You know, but anyway, uh, let's get to our guest because he seems excited to me. Exciting oh, yeah. to me, and, and I'm sure he's excited to be here. And uh, let's get rolling.
0: Uh, right on, right on. Well, uh, our, our, we do have a terrific guest. Uh, I've, I've never met him before, but I've been aware of his, his work for a long time. He's a, a Grammy nominated, multi platinum selling uh, s- uh, songwriter, guitar player, vocalist, producer. Uh, he's a longtime member of the band Louisiana LaRue. Uh, he's had a, and, and for the past 30 years or so, he's had an extremely uh, successful songwriting career in Nashville. So, without further ado, the great Mr. Tony Hazelden. Welcome, Tony.
3: Kleenex. (laughs) Uh, That's an amazing thing. I never noticed that. I don't do any shopping. But uh, I'll, I'll stay awake thinking about that tonight, guys. Yeah, well,
1: next time you see a box of Kleenex, you'll see that it's got, you know, it's in English and in French.
3: I will definitely do that. I will definitely notice that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if Kleenex was invented in France, maybe. I have no idea. Hmm. You know, I don't know.
3: They're notorious for big noses in France. so I That's true. Wow. Yeah. That's,
1: that's, that's, that's true. That's, that's very an issue. true. So. You know. <laughs>
0: uh, but welcome. Welcome, yes, Tony. welcome, Tony.
3: Oh, good to be here. Thank you guys for the invite. I appreciate it.
0: So, Tony, uh, so you're you're based in Nashville now, but where did you grow up?
3: Well, <clears throat> that's a long story. Actually, I'm okay. back in Louisiana. Uh, I'll make it as short as I can. I'm originally from South Carolina. Oh. Moved to Louisiana in 1957, uh, and then I've been here off and on ever since. And uh, uh, You know, after LaRue broke up, I, I moved to Nashville, you know, to pursue songwriting, and uh, it's kind of, you know, just always music. I just graduated from uh, Nichols, and I started on my master's in psychology. Which turned out to be useless. And, okay. Um,
0: and well, now, now you said it's useless, but uh, playing in the music business, i mean, being in the music business—certainly, uh, that uh, I'd be surprised that psychology degree didn't come in handy at some point. No,
3: well, you would, you would know, and I think many would certainly be aware that, that uh, it probably has been advantageous without me even realizing um, uh, that. But uh, over over the years, there've been a lot of characters which I have been one I suppose okay uh, that, that needed psychological help but um, yeah the laRue thing just kind of my music career has been totally accidental I was never I was never one of those people who was driven to go be a quote a songwriter or a star or anything like that I just I just played from one step to the next and it turned into a career sort of by default so I'm not sure if I was close to the question but
0: here we well, are. Well, sure. But how did you get started playing guitar in the first place? Do you come from a musical family and, and where was that? Were you uh, in what, what town in Louisiana were you? Well, I,
3: oh, I actually Thibodeau is, I consider Thibodeau my hometown and, and I and we moved back from Nashville about four years ago. So I've been here for about four years now.
0: Oh, you're back and in Thibodeau. I'm back
3: in Thibodeau now. Yeah. correct. Oh, all right. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I've I just all I, I played in band in high school, played trombone. Not much money in that. So unless you're trombone shorty, then it's not bad. But yeah.
0: Renee uh, Rene doesn't like the trombone. No, man he always <laughs> wants to say that. I I, I love the trombone. Yeah, I always, yeah. but but just like you said, it's it's kind of an unlikely star instrument. But yeah. except if you're in New Orleans for the past. Uh, 20 years because we have about five different very successful bands that are, you know, trombone led bands.
3: I always tease about when I go see Chicago, uh, James Panko, the trombone player for them. He tries to make it look like a rock and roll instrument, but it's a damn trombone, man. Please, (laughs) you know, give me a break. Uh, You had a wonderful career. You made more than any trombone player in the planet, but all the moves and, and fake. Uh, air guitar on trombone. It's a trombone. Right. So it's kind
0: of unseemly, don't you think? It's it, like, if you it, want to do all that, play guitar, you know? Yeah. If, if
3: that's what you have in mind, go ahead and learn your four chords and you can kick <laughs> ass for as long as you want to. You know, <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, I started with trombone and then uh, uh, and I, I did it in college too. But the only reason I played trombone in college was so I could play guitar in the jazz band. Oh. So, so kind of, it was one of those situations where, and I, I mean, I started off guitar was my main thing, it always has been, and that morphed into singing and that morphed into songwriting and uh, you know, it's just always it's always been attached to guitar, everything I've ever done.
0: Well, so, so I was asking you yesterday about, because uh, I know LaRue, before they were LaRue, the band was uh, like studio guys at uh, Studio in the Country there in Bucalusa, yeah. and then also was uh, Gate Mouth Brown's backing band and toured all over Africa and all kind of other places uh, as, as his band. But you said you weren't on the band at that point, right?
3: No, no, no. Uh, at that point, they they uh, a quick synopsis, Jeff Pollard and Rod Roddy, who are are all members of LaRue, we started in a band called the Letty Band. Then I left and went back to college. They went to Baton Rouge and and became a a, a, a Jeff Pollard Band. The Jeff Pollard Band eventually became the backing band for uh, Gate Mouth. And they did tour a lot. So uh, at some point, I would started on my master's degree. They came back to Thibodeau and we're playing and Jeff called me up and said, come jam with us. And they had just hired another guitar player who will remain nameless. And, uh, I, I went and played three or four songs with them. And they called me at three that morning after they got back and said, man, you need to come join the band. And, and I was kind of, I was kind of out of music at the time. And I said, I was getting ready to go do a, I was going to start on the PhD program at, at uh, at the uh, university of Georgia in the next year. Hmm. And, um, so my, my wife and I discussed it. We said, oh, what the hell? Give it a shot. You never can tell. So we, I did that. I joined the band six months later or three months later, we went out to LA to showcase for, uh, uh, capital Columbia and Warner brothers and, um, at the Roxy and, uh, uh, one other club whose name I can't recall. And then the deal came from there. So once that happened, it, the, the deal happened pretty quickly. Once again, I say, I've never been, I've never gone out and pursued this career. It just kind of fell into my lap from me playing music. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of an accidental success, I suppose.
1: So let me ask you some that, that, the guitar player who remained nameless, was that Sammy Hagar?
3: (laughs) No, no, but, uh. Yeah. Uh, just I'm, a wild guess. I'm yeah, a wild guess. Well, you're absolutely right, Manny. He's been in about ten different bands. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they lose a guitar player they say, Call Sammy, he's not doing anything. <laughs>
1: he's not doing it. he's out he's down in Cabo, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh Tough life. Driving over fifty
3: five. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah well you if, Combo's not big enough to get over 55, actually. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> true, too. Yeah, that's true, think, true, too. Maybe in reverse or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So. Uh, when it was LaRue, you were kind of in the band at that point after it was... Yeah. I,
3: I, when I joined the band, it was called the Jeff Pollard Band. So once we got the deal, they said, let's let's see if we can make it a, a, a different band, So uh, or just a different name, so... Uh, we came up with the name Larue, and they called it uh, Louis. We were going to call it Louisiana's LaRue, and they said, uh, "Well, you know, that sounds kind of regional, huh? And so we said, "You mean regional like Chicago and Boston and uh-huh. and all and all those Kansas. bands?" Right. I think I think it might work. It should be fine. So that, that's how the that name Larue came about.
0: Okay. Now, uh, a former Troubled Men podcast guest and good friend of me and Manny's, Carlo Nuccio, told yes. me about, uh, that he was playing in a band in Baton Rouge across from campus. And he said it was kind of a disco band that he was playing in. And he said he was like a weekly gig. And he said, after they would finish, you guys would come on. And he said, man, what a smoking band. He said, it was just, just phenomenal how good this band was, you know? And you guys were kind of like a, like a funky Southern rock R and B kind of band. Yeah. I would say, you know, as a, with the, at the risk of sacrificing
3: modesty, we we were a very very good band. Everybody was very capable players. Everybody had broad musical taste, you know, from jazz to pop. Larry Carlton, uh, 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 all all of the all of the in between funk jazz bands, um. uh, instru- instrumental bands. We had a broad musical taste, and every, you know, we never we never had any disputes. Our band got along from 19, 1976 to 1985. And, and we were just, you know, we just liked playing music and we liked playing with each other. We never had any, you know, artistic differences or all of the crap that people talk about as a, a as being a splinter uh, in a band's career. Um, yeah. We just, we, we were, I, I am proud. We were a good band and actually we still play and we're still a very good band.
0: Yes. I saw y'all uh, at French Quarter Fest a couple of years ago, and I think we y'all played on the same stage as the Iguanas. Yeah, 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 we did. And and I remember standing on the side of the stage watching you guys and thinking that it's like, holy cow, man, these guys sound fantastic, man. It was so so tight, and and all the vocals are so good, man. You know. Well, we just, I,
3: I appreciate it. We 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 did proud do proud ourselves on that, and and uh, we just finished a new album. Um, that got a lot of response in Europe, but with COVID we couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere.
0: The latest record was uh, in twenty twenty, right? One of yes. these days. One of those days.
3: That's correct. That's absolutely correct. And it's
0: been a very successful record. Like uh, y'all, y'all uh, got some blues awards uh, based on that. I mean, it's kind of weird, you know. Again, one of the the overarching. Uh, important parts about this story is is longevity and and adaptability and yeah yeah that makes sense i saw this guy talking one time and i think he was like a film composer and he said really your number one goal in in the music business is longevity and he says because times are going to change taste is going to change uh you know how can you find a yeah. way to stay involved in it you know it's like some people they 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 want to they have a flash in the pan something works out and and then but you know if yeah. you really want to play music you got to find a way to do that and to to do it over such a long period of time is what an accomplishment man
3: it it, uh, it is true it's like i think that with with us we all have a low tolerance for boredom um and you know and when you and you know the deal when you get when you play it's hard to, to play the same quote 20 or 30 songs for 40 years and, and make it exciting. So at some point, we've all been able to manage to keep ourselves from being bored with it. And the new album was, was an absolutely cathartic release to be able to play new music for a change. Um, I mean, that's, that's, it's almost like once you become semi successful as a band, you become a cover band of your own music. Mm-hmm. You know, so you end up going, I'm so tired of playing that damn solo. I don't want to ever do it again. You know, <laughs> it's like, so I, I, let me just play something that people won't recognize. Who cares? But it, it is, I think it's one of those deals where you, just, you have to find an outlet that doesn't keep you
0: doing the same thing over and over.
3: The redundancy is just, I mean, it'll kill a career.
0: Right. Well, that's something I was going to ask you about. So right out on the first record, you have, uh, you know, it's it's mostly like kind of like I say, kind of funky R&B, Southern rock record. But then you have the A big hit is New Orleans Ladies uh, Ballad. And, you know, it's not exactly characteristic of the rest of, of the material. No, I got to say, I remember that that song as a kid, and I don't know why I thought this, but it, until just a few days last week, I started looking at the lyrics, and I always thought that it was that song was about prostitutes.
3: Uh, well, you know, it, you could interpret it that way. I mean, uh, it it, cer- it certainly sounds that way. To I've, I've always assumed the same thing too.
0: Okay, good. I'm, it's not just me.
3: You know. <laughs> I, I, you know it's funny, I don't want to I'm not belittling take this don't take this as a belittling, but I just started a new song. I I, I, I almost I almost view New Orleans, the city, as a prostitute. Mm. I mean, New New Orleans, you get the first one for free, but then you can't stop coming back.
1: There you go I view New Orleans as a crack whore. <laughs> That's the way I've always viewed New Orleans.
0: <laughs> that's a type of prostitute, sure. Man. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah, crack for. That's a real, <laughs> a real cheap prostitute. I guarantee you. But you know, it's like she's just, she's just that sweet, good natured, good natured prostitute that you can't get, you can't get away from. And and uh, it's, uh, that's what New Orleans feels like to me. So New Orleans, New Orleans ladies, uh, uh, people don't assume that because everybody wants to be a New Orleans lady, but they don't want to be necessarily want to be a prostitute. I'm assuming they don't
0: <laughs> No, but
3: you're right. It, it could be interpreted as that.
0: So that's kind of the, the national image of you guys, but then, you know, obviously you go out on the road and you play and you're, you're, you know, rock and band. Um, was was there uh, pressure from the record companies to kind of repeat that success with with a ballad, or they just thought, well, you guys just do what you do, and we'll see what happens?
3: Well, yeah, there's, there's all there's, there's record companies by design uh, are uh, uh, their goal is to repeat success. Their goal isn't to deliver great music to you. Their goal isn't to deliver you something fresh and new. Their goal is to deliver you. The same thing that was a hit the last time. Uh, and they always, they always approach it like that. If you listen to country music now, you'll hear, uh, 95% of the songs are the same song. Um, yeah. And, and by and large, popular music, I don't know how to put this because I've written a lot of it and I'm, a, I'm guilty myself. I, I think popular music is, uh, falls under that big part of the bell curve. Uh, Mediocrity is the coin of the realm when it comes to radio music, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So it has to be. It has to sound like the last song you heard, and it has to sound like the next song you're gonna hear. So they, uh, that that's just that's just how that how that thing goes. And they did try to they did try to manipulate us into the New Orleans Ladies thing. And and who knows, God knows, it might have been a better thing for us to do because we didn't have. We we had a little bit of well we had a song called nobody said it was easy. Two albums later, they went to sixteen. It was bigger than New Orleans Ladies, but we're not known. We're not known for that. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah I was. Uh, I was. I was checking out that that video, and that was like an MTV video that you're the you're the lead singer on, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, me and me, me and my Mr. Good Wrench outfit looked like a, I look like a mechanic, <laughs> but that's all good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was, yeah. that was definitely a video of its time, and this, <laughs> the the production is of its time. And speaking of, of you know something of its time, I was looking at at uh, at tour photographs of you guys from the from the Capitol and RCA days, and. You know, that's like the, the late 70s, early 80s. It's pre-AIDS. You guys are, are a bunch of uh, studs up there, you know, and, and I was thinking, yeah. man, yeah. you guys must have been drowned. Now, I don't have, not about you personally, but just generally, you guys must have been drowning in chicks at that time, huh? Well,
3: there was, a, I mean, a, that, that's always, that's that's one of the rock and roll fatalities. Thank goodness I've been married for 51 years, so it's all been good. Well, there good. you
0: go. So you, you dodged the bullet. Yeah, yeah.
3: You know that that's always there. There's always the drugs. There's always the chicks. There's, there's always the guys, the people trying to take advantage of you, money-wise. So I mean that. You know we were lucky. Most most of us all had active brain cells. We all uh, not to, not to tell on anybody else, but I did, and we all did drugs. Uh, uh, we never sold. We never spent our rent money to get drugs, but we all did all that, and we all lived through it, and we never did anything in excess. So. Okay. Um, it, it was just we were we were as groups go we were very lucky in the whole situation you know
0: nobody got in trouble or you know no. never yeah yeah
1: so let's go back to your childhood for a minute <laughs> uh, when do you first uh, what what are you listening to that turns you on to uh, music and rock and roll or
3: what country music well, in the early days, I mean, the first, you know, my first guitar influences, it always, always freaked people out. Well, not, not the early days, but when I really started playing guitar, were Chet Atkins and Richie Blackmore from Deep Purple. That was my two favorite guitar players.
0: Oh. I was going to ask you about Chet Atkins because I noticed you used a thumb pick.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I still do, like, people like Tommy Emmanuel. I still learn his stuff. I, you know, I still learn Robin Ford. People that I've, I still—I've learned a lot of music that I've never been able to play live because I have never been in that kind of band. But mm-hmm. I just love the—I love the instrument. But. but was
1: that the music that you were hearing in your house? Was that the music your parents were playing?
3: Well, no. I, this will give away. I'm 76 years old, so. I, oh,
1: I see. Nice. Your parents
3: were listening to Bach. We, <laughs> yeah, they were listening to people beating drums on the cave wall. You know, stop, stop, stop. And they were drawing little pictures of men and, 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 and horses. So uh, actually what happened, you know, I can tell you the first song I ever learned, and you probably don't even know it, is how much is that doggy in the window? Oh, sure. Oh, know that. I yeah, know yeah. that.
1: My dad used to sing that song to me when I was a kid.
3: Well, there you go. I'm I kept gonna...
1: wanting a dog, and he kept denying me a dog, and he singing <laughs> that song just to fuck with me. taught yeah.
2: you. Well, that, that's,
1: what, that, that, <laughs> yeah.
3: that's what dads do.
1: Yeah, that's,
2: that's
3: their job. <laughs> uh,
1: he was, uh, yeah, he was a good guy,
3: though. His job was to turn you into the man you are today, yeah, which we're all, exactly. which we're all
0: proud oh, of. Uh, yeah, oh, exactly. Lord, it's his fault. <laughs> yeah. Seems like a good time to take a drink, like take a uh, break, and get a new cocktail, don't you think?
1: Yeah, let's uh, the troubled nation know what oh. to do, and as always, uh, go get a cocktail, libation, and we'll be right back. Oh, sister, sister.
0: Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Komen, back with our guest, Mr. Tony Hazelden. Now, uh, we don't have a sponsor currently other than the devoted Troubled Nation listeners. Uh, so, you know, it's again, we're a listener supported operation here. We have the, uh, the PayPal link you can jump on in the show notes, we have the Patreon page you can sign up for. Um, you know, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to the podcast, uh, rate us, uh, review us, give us five stars, and uh, you know, follow us on social media. And uh yes, the crew of Red Beans, they're they're they have a GoFundMe project uh to support this Fest Fest, which is a series of porch concerts that they're organizing to uh try to raise money to Pay the festival wages of local musicians, so that's a a, a great uh, endeavor that they're they're engaged in. So everybody, check out the crew of Red Beans and support them in in, in this, uh, this 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 uh, this effort.
1: They're the ones who block Esplanade uh, for like four hours uh, on one day out of the year. <laughs> Are they? And, uh, yeah, it's like, come on, give me a break. They, they don't let anyone know they're they're rolling either. That's what I don't like. about that you know okay well but anyway tony what i wanted to tell you when it was checking his uh uh, devices or his technology there is that i went we took a break i went to the living room my daughter and wife were watching a movie and she said who's the guest and i said who it was and she she goes i have their album she has their album (laughs) very good the ladies of new orleans records we have it here in our house
3: very life is good
1: yeah, so uh, she remembers that, and I said, "Well, we we thought maybe it was about hookers," and she said, "Yeah, I thought the same thing too." <laughs> okay. <laughs>
3: it, the, the funny, it, you know, the funny thing, oddly enough, is with New Orleans. We have never been that popular in New Orleans, I, oh. I, and, and I don't know. I don't know why we're not considered. I mean, there are so many wonderful bands in New Orleans, I certainly can't deny it. But for some reason, we have never captured that market. Uh, and we've never been really claimed by New Orleans. Um, I don't know why. I don't because, we, you know, we don't really sound like a New Orleans band. Maybe right. that's the reason. Uh, but we're not like, I don't, I can't say this without seeming unmodest. immodest. But we 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 get very little respect from New Orleans, which is it's all fine. People have people can choose what they like, but uh, it's just it's I always sort of was odd with New Orleans ladies, strange.
0: Right. Well, hmm. you know, uh, when you really look at the lyrics of the song, it doesn't actually say that explicitly. So but somehow that's the, the vibe that everybody picks up on. And yeah, as far as, uh, you know, the uh, uh, New Orleanians identification with the band, I don't know, you guys not from New Orleans, um, but re- and really, you, you, like you're saying, you have more in common with other southern rock bands like uh, Yeah, yeah, Do- Doobie Brothers, Wet Willie. Uh,
3: New Orleans has an indigenous music that does not exist anywhere else.
0: Yes, yes. And we're very insular. We, we don't care about anything that happens outside of New Orleans. That's exactly right. Self-focused. Yes, yes. That's always been the case.
3: But, I mean, you know, th- the truth is there's no place in the world you can go and find a city as u- as unique and, and unobstructed by the rest of the United States as New Orleans. Maybe San Francisco will not near as much as New Orleans.
0: So, I mean, we are a, we are a unique little place down here. We really are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, getting back to uh, to Larue, um, you know, you're you're on Capitol, then you're on RCA, and uh, you know, you put out three records, what on RCA, and then it's and during that time, you play all the big shows, the uh, Midnight Special, Don Kirshner's rock concert. Yeah. And uh, you know, touring the, the nation with a, with a, all the, the the leading hit r- hit bands of the day must have been a pretty heady time, huh?
3: It was it was a wonderful experience. I mean, you know, we we were the perennial opener. We we opened for three Doobie Brothers tours, for uh, two or three Journey tours. We were out with ZZ Top during the Eliminator tour. We did wow. Beach Boys for a you know, a bunch of different tours, and a lot of people in between, you know, Foreigner and and uh, uh, 38 Special and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. We were always, we were always a perennial opener. Uh, our, our success was, we were one more head away from being, from having uh, a, a lot of success. But we were also, once again, we fell into a, a a little odd niche that we weren't, we weren't quite Southern Rock, we weren't quite pure funk. We were somewhere in between there. We were a well-respected band by everybody we ever toured with but we never could quite capture the radio market that we, that we would have liked to capture. But I have to say it was a wonderful time. We, we met a lot of great people. We had tons of fun, and life was good. Right on.
1: So, so let me ask you, you opened for Foreigner, right? You, you said that?
3: Actually, we, we did it. We did four days with Foreigner. It was Foreigner, uh, 38, it was foreigner 38 Special, uh, Triumph, and us. We played Arrowhead Stadium. Then we played the Cotton Bowl. Well, what, what
1: kind of crowd does Foreigner attract, though? I mean, wh- wasn't Foreigner just a manufactured band? I thought from the record companies.
3: Mutt Lane was notorious for manufacturing Brian Adams, uh, Def Leppard, uh, le- as of late, Shania Twain. But he, every band he ever did, he manufactured it, and it was his. It was he was as a producer. That's what he did. But Foreigner was a good live band. They kicked ass. In fact, we played New Orleans at, at actually City Park Stadium. I don't know how much yeah. it holds. Maybe $30,000, thirty thousand, twenty five, twenty thousand something. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was us. No, it was Foreigner, uh, Night Ranger, Ozzy Osbourne, and us. And, wow. And but that's the day Ozzy had shaved his head, and he came out. Nobody knew it till three songs into it, then he pulled his wig off and he was bald-headed. But so, uh, <laughs> just one of those. I guess it was, he had to do something after biting the bat's head off, so what do you do next? You
0: know, Right, to follow that up.
3: Yeah, how do you do that?
0: <laughs> but anyway,
3: yeah, that was good.
0: Nice, nice. So the, that uh, that era ends, uh, y'all are, are leave RCA and the band kind of decides to, to take a break for a while. Yes. At that point, is that when you uh, get involved in the Nashville songwriting scene?
3: Yeah, well, uh, once we, um, you know, I cannot quite remember exactly when we did our last jobs as Larue. Probably around eighty-six or sevenish. Then mm-hmm. I went to, then I went to Nashville. Um, we, this is a this, people ask me how to get into songwriting business, and I always tell them this story. First, we had a tour bus. Uh, we, we took, our, uh, we sold our tour bus to Ronnie sound and I had a cassette of four songs I'd written left in the cassette player back when you did cassettes. And when they cleaned the bus out, they brought the cassette, up, the cassettes up to uh, Rob Galbraith, who ran uh, uh, Ronnie Millsale's Publishing Company. He heard the cassette, and he liked the songs, and he called me up and asked me if I wanted to write songs. So I tell wow. people if you want if you want to get a publishing deal, <laughs> buy a three hundred thousand dollar tour bus, leave a safe in it, and sell it to to a major artist. And uh, once again, once again, I'm telling you, I, my successes have all been accidental. I, I wish I could take credit for them, but it's just been it falls under the shit happens clause.
0: That's so crazy. It's so so haphazard that that, yeah. that would be the the path. Now, yeah. What's not haphazard is that they were good songs and you, you were, you had talent. And so he recognized that, you know, it's if, if if the songs hadn't had that, that, uh, you know, that, that quality, he he would have never, you would have never heard from him.
3: Yeah. Yeah. If they had not been good songs, I I, I don't, I I don't want to minimize my abilities. I I have been decent at, at most of my endeavors. But, right. but but so many things that have happened have been some kind of odd kismet or some alignment of the, the universe. I don't know how or why. But, uh, yeah, at some point when it does happen, the goods have to be there. So I was fortunate in that respect that I had developed to a point that uh, what gift I did have was recognizable. So thank God. Right.
1: Tony, Tony, let me ask. You. you said you've been married for 51 years? I
3: have, yes.
1: Yeah, and you have children?
3: I have one daughter and three one grandkids. Daughter.
1: And uh, are they, them into the music scene or are they just?
3: None of them at all. I've bought them all guitars and drums. and You know, uh, I have a 12-year-old a that's an absolute incredible athlete. And I have, a, you know, a 18-year-old who just started uh, at Auburn. She just started at Auburn this year. And I have a, cool. a, a 21-year-old. So, But none of them have dealt with music at all. They just – not my daughter, not anybody. Now, my son-in-law loves it. Uh, he and I – go. he's a deadhead. He loves – you know, he uh, – <laughs> Cool. We go to, we've been to – I never was a fan, but he and I, we went to see him in Seattle and San Francisco and uh, the Portland – uh, different places
1: yeah it, it's it's an acquired yeah. taste you know that i mean i like the dead i like listening to their yeah. live shows and stuff but i had a good friend of mine back in la who was a doctor who was a deadhead he'd follow them around and oh yeah my like, uh,
3: yeah my grandson i mean my grandson my son-in-law is particularly successful uh so i mean we you know we don't go stay intense we we're staying at <laughs> we stay at high dollar hotels. Yeah, 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 But, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I, you know, I, I, it, it's a sociological experiment. Anybody who's never even if you don't like the music, you almost have to go to see the sociological experiment that surrounds the, the, the Dead and Company. And the only reason I went is because I'm a huge John Mayer fan. Most people aren't, but I love him. I think he's incredible, and uh, he fits into Dead. He fits into the Grateful Dead. Better than any guitar player they've had since uh, Jerry Garcia. So that's one reason I went really
0: right on.
1: I went and saw them a, a few times in the 80s with my friend, my doctor friend, and I was very, you know, I was a punk rock guy and stuff yeah. like that, you know, and I was very anti, but I, I dug the vibe. You know, uh, I I dug it, and I, I dug the freewheeling you know thing with the girls dancing. And the yeah, girls oh yeah, dancing, and, and I love the way that uh, my because my friend used to record every one of their shows. Wow, and I thought that was I thought that was really excellent that they just said yeah, record our show. We don't give a fuck. Oh no, they,
3: they don't give a shit. It's just like you know they are they are totally anti-capitalist, capitalistic. They just yeah. they, play, they play music. They got people selling merchandise on what they call Shakedown Street. These right. people these people make, make their own T shirts. They don't get a piece of any of that. They don't care. They yeah. just go enjoy and make money on playing music. And you know, I mean I think I think maybe uh uh Bobby's worth he might be worth fifty five million. With their with yeah. their success, he should be worth like three hundred million, but he didn't give a shit, what, you know.
1: I know, and they I, and, and they have these vaults in, in the Bay Area that are filled with tapes.
3: Oh yeah. I mean they were voracious recorders.
1: Yeah, they recorded their own shows. And every so, I mean, I think about five years ago, they they released, like, a six-CD set of, like, you know, from 69 to 71 kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And it sold for $500. Yeah. yeah.
3: Man, I, and I'm telling you. And, you know, people,
1: and people bought it. Man.
3: No, without a doubt. You, can, you start talking to people, and they'll go, they'll be playing a song, and I was unaware of this, but I'm standing there watching it. I didn't mean to turn this into a dead show, but, you know, I'm standing next to some guy and he's going, I'm going to play a particular song. And they go, man, I like that fire on the mountain. That, this sounds good. He says, oh, man. He said, I mean, the, the 1981 version they did up in Boston, that was the best <laughs> yeah. one ever. I mean, that was fucking the best ever, man. And it's like you yeah. kind of go, 1981 in Boston, and you've can yeah. you heard this song 300 times and that's the best one? Amazing.
0: Right, no, right, they can yeah. remember that version. That's correct. Oh, yeah, and, and they
3: do remember it.
0: It's the marijuana that helps. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it's true.
1: It's true. <laughs> the marijuana helps them remember everything. Yeah, yeah. man. Except their address. <laughs> I met you at Woodstock, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Anyway. Well, Tony, uh, I want to talk about your, your Nashville songwriting career for a bit here. Certainly. You have tremendous success as a as a songwriter. You've had so many number one country hits, uh, you know, people all kind of people, uh, Keith Whitley, George Strait, and then and then all these female artists, you know, Shelby Lynch, Shania Twain, as you as you mentioned, Reba McIntyre. Yeah. I was actually watching some videos of your songs today, and I started to tear up at one. Now I'm a very sensitive boy, but uh, it, really, it really touched me.
3: <laughs> I'm glad I moved you.
0: You did. I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little misty here watching this yeah. this, this uh, 20-year-old video here. Yeah. But uh,
3: Send me a note.
0: <laughs> I will, I will. So that's a very unique um, kind of songwriting thing that goes on there in Nashville.
3: For a long time, but not so much now. But uh, when I first went up there uh, uh, in the uh, late 80s, they, I mean, some of the better songwriters were there. There was a broad – the palette for songs back then was broader. I mean, if you look, you had things like The Gambler, which was a story. You had the night, The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. That was a story. You had actual stories – Every song now is boy girl, you know. Every now song somebody's getting laid on a song today. Every yeah. not that I, there's anything wrong with that, you know. But but every song, I mean, uh, three minutes after three minutes after three minutes, it gets to be too much. The same thing. So the the palette was a lot broader back then, and uh, and I have my share of mediocre songs too. I'm not I'm not saying that's what you. If you if you're going to make a living as a songwriter, you have to find out. Uh, to me, there's a there's a handful. There's only about three kinds of songs. There are great songs that'll never be a hit. There are hit songs that'll never be great songs, and there are songs that are great songs and they're hits. To me, uh, I, I know I sound terrible to, to be such a John Mayer fan, but to me, he 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 does great songs that are hits. Um, or okay. you know, the, the lyrics are good and interesting. They're fresh. They're things you've never heard before. He plays his ass off, and 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 uh, uh, the melodies and things are interesting. Now, most people don't like John Mayer; they think it's a sellout. But that's people who can't play with the shit anyway, most of the time. So, <laughs> okay. uh, you know. But uh, to to me, or you take a song like Mike and the Mechanics' "Living Years." I don't know if you've ever heard that song. It's an old rock song. If you ever get if you get a chance, if you if you if you're a father, or if you have a father, obviously. You need to hear this song. It's called In the Living Years. Great lyrics, great, great message, and it, and, and it actually got on the radio a little bit. But to me, I, I end up categorizing songs in that way. Um, most of my favorite writers are writers you, you'll you never hear. It would be David Wilcox, or it'd be you know Joni Mitchell, or it'd be uh, just you know people that...
0: But in Nashville, there's a culture of... Like uh, you, you make appointments with other writers, you go sit in, a, in an office kind of room, you, yes. you bring some ideas, you bang it out. Is that the kind of stuff that you've done a lot of, I would imagine, huh?
3: I never was much of a co-writer. Most of my hits were written by myself. I had a couple I had two co-writers. I had a guy named Tim Menzies, who was an incredible singer, great, one of my favorite country singers. In fact, he's got some solo albums out. A great, magnificent guitar player, a great country picker, and a wonderful writer. Uh, he and I wrote a lot together, and one other guy, Stan Muncy. But by and large, I didn't co-write that much. I just—I don't know. I—I I don't think I was selfish. It just—I ended up spending more time with myself. But—but but yeah, it's nowadays if you look at the country charts, there every song has at least three writers, up to five writers on it now.
1: Yep. So Tony, Tony, you know, um, yeah. don't, 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 don't feel bad about playing with yourself. I do it all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. And, and you know, and funny part is always productive. Yes, yeah, exactly.
0: You always get somewhere. Yeah. yeah. There's always a happy ending. Without a doubt. It's always a hit.
3: Unlike a country song. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. <laughs> Well, I, I remember J- Johnny Carson once asked, asked uh, Roger Miller about co-writing, and, sa- and Roger Miller said, uh, Picasso doesn't co-paint, and I don't co-write.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes sense. Uh, you know, the truth, of, the truth of the matter is, it's not good business. The, 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 it's, it, it's, better to, it's, it's better to co-write, because if you do that, then you have two different publishing companies shopping your songs. And, okay. and if you have – and people would pair up, this guy's a very successful writer. Let me get with him. Let me do that. I just never was that kind of guy. And if I did it again, I would probably network more. Uh, it's important, and you don't sacrifice your integrity or anything in the process. I was just uh, of a different yoke back then, 30 years ago.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a real culture of, like, getting a cut. That's what everybody talks about in Nashville, getting a cut, which means, uh, you know, getting your song placed on some big star's record. Yes. And you, yes. you don't even care if, if, it's actu- if it's actually a hit itself. Uh, you would like it to be a hit, but as long as it's on, as it's on a record uh, that, that has a hit on it, you're well, going, going to the bank.
3: That was a viable, that was a viable situation pre-internet. Yeah. It used to be. It used to be you could. Uh, I'll try to make this brief and quick. But it used to be you, you could never have it. Even if you never had a hit record, if you had ten songs recorded on ten different acts, and each one of those acts sold uh, a million copies, that would be ten million records. So even if nobody ever heard your song, you would make ten cents for every song for every time that every time that album sold. So if you right. multiply ten cents Times ten million, you end up with a million bucks. Right. You know. So did <laughs> sure. people go. Have you ever had any hits? No, I never had any hits, but I got a million dollar. So right. Uh, yeah. but, but but see, that doesn't happen anymore because people don't buy albums. And in, and in the old days, you would have a song. I had hit. It was a hit on George Strait. He sold double platinum, so I made that money. Then he did a greatest hits album. I got it on that one. That sold double platinum. I made that money. Then it got on forty number ones. Later, that sold again, and I made money. That doesn't happen anymore. You know what I mean?
1: Let me ask you, Tony. Can I? Did Certainly. you ever have any run-ins with Billy Joe Shaver?
3: No, but I know him.
1: You know, I mean, him. I, I
3: I met him a couple times. Okay, but that's a talent. Gee, that's a that's a song. That's that's a quote That's a
1: guy quote. who would play like you know a hundred a uh, hundred in front of a hundred people at some club yeah and uh the the promoter w- wouldn't pay him you know, and he, he was, was pe- one of those guys yeah
3: good son- wonderful songwriter legendary yeah. Obviously.
0: yeah 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 in
3: fact his son played guitar with him for a long time
0: oh right. really right yeah good yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. good guitar player
1: and he was missing a finger
3: wasn't he did think- he have a finger I think I, I think you may be right about that. Now that you yeah. yeah,
1: it was some kind of weird accident, but yet he still played. Lost I don't it in a
0: foundry or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or,
3: yeah, uh, a lumberyard,
0: like that. right?
3: Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. A real job.
0: A, a real yeah. job. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. So I I was, uh, you know, we're kind of uh, winding up the the podcast. I had a few other things. uh, And one is how Nashville has changed. And uh, I have a friend who's uh, a, a little bit younger than me, but very successful songwriter, much like yourself. And he was saying that... Uh, There are songs that that were written 20 years ago. He was mentioning this Brad Paisley song, which seems Brad Paisley seems like a new artist to me. But he's been around for a long time. And he was saying this song couldn't get cut now. And I said, really, why? He goes, because now uh, all the people who are country music fans grew up listening to rap and techno, and they're used to hearing lyrics that's like words, 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 yes. words, 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 words. He said in the old days, he goes, listen to this song. It's like words, words, music, yeah, words, words. So I'm sure you must be. Aware, and he goes, he goes, hey man, it's not my style. He goes, but that's the field I'm playing on. So that's what I try to write nowadays. That's that's very different than traditional country music.
3: Oh, it is. Your friend wouldn't be Jim, would it?
0: <laughs> yes, yes his name is jim <laughs> okay
3: I, I know jim uh, yeah, but, uh jim
0: mccormick yes he's a he's a yeah, yeah songwriter yes
3: he's a he's a wonderful guy he got in songwriting at a, this is this is probably the worst time to be in songwriting actually but um it, it's, it's a bigger struggle than it's ever been and he's a wonderful guy and a wonderful songwriter um yep. uh it's just it's tougher than it's ever been now yeah there, uh, yeah there's a lot of Brad Paisley could, the truth is, George Strait can't have a hit now. So it just doesn't, uh, once it changes, once the regimes change, and the truth is, if you look at the, if you were to look at the charts today, uh, 12 writers, 12 to 15 writers control about 30 you know, on any given week, 30 to, uh, 30 to 35% of the chart. The same writers wow. write the same stuff. So you and, and they and they have found the formula and they've made it work. More, more power to them. They're better businessmen than I was. Um, but it, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't help. Radio's job isn't to introduce us to new music. That's not their job. Their job is to sell Chevrolets, soap, and all that other shit. They don't. They don't give a shit about the music. They. They're, 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 all they care about is. You won't change the station. Uh huh. In fact, that's one of, the, one of the one of the one of the when they used to send out test songs. One of the questions was, if you heard this song, would you change the station? And 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 they don't want you to be passionate about a song because if you love a song, when it comes on, you'll listen to it. But when it goes off, you'll start trying other stations to find that song again. Uh Uh-huh. So so they don't want you to love it. They want you to just let it wash. (laughs) They want you to let it just wash over you and just kind of stay on the station, no big deal. And that's exactly, I mean, that was actually on some of the radio surveys and probably still is today more than anything else. So um, it's become so insist. the music has become so incestuous that it can't possibly, it doesn't, there's nothing new in the gene pool. It ends up being Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over not complaining, not being an old guy vision about it. It just is what it is, and that's what right. it works. And that's what you have to do if you want to be an artist. Then you have to suffer like everybody else. So anyway,
0: right on, right on. Well, well, Tony, God, what a tremendous career you've had, man! It's, it's, you know, it's. I'm I'm so impressed with the the whole arc of it. I mean, that's you know, you it's.
3: Well, don't be. It's mostly luck.
0: Well. <laughs> No, again, as I said earlier today to you, it's uh, luck with a lot of talent. Yes, that's uh, it's, that's that's what you need in in uh, showbiz. I appreciate it, Renee. Well, I can't wait to see uh, uh, Larue again playing live, and uh, I know you guys have some dates you're playing on at the Paradise Inn in, in Pensacola. <laughs>
3: well, we hope that doesn't get hope it doesn't get canceled. It probably will. I don't know.
0: I know, I know. It's all, it's all. Uh, we're we're all just trying to put one foot in front of the other here and groping in the dark as to the way forward.
3: It's true. This is a new world.
0: Yeah, man. Well, Tony, thank you so much. You've been a fantastic guest.
1: Tony, thank you. You were fabulous, and uh, uh, we love you. My wife loves you, and <laughs> we have your record. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put it on in a few minutes. Go on, man. I
3: appreciate it.
1: I never knew we had it until she said, no, I have that record. I said, because, really? you know, we I'm from L.A. She's from Louisiana, New Orleans, and she's got her record collection. And I brought my record collection, which is so different. I said, well, OK, you got I didn't know you had this record.
3: Well, there you go. My there you go, my there you friend. go, my friend. I'm sorry I can't vote for you. I wish I could. Well, well, you yeah. can always, uh, yeah. We'll see what we can do. We'll yeah. see what we can do. Maybe a theme. <laughs> All right. Maybe a theme yeah. song. Okay, guys.
1: Yeah, there you there go. You there you I go. Write, right, write, right, write a campaign song, for me.
0: <laughs> or you could write yeah. us a troubled uh podcast yeah. song. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Free time, just dash one off. Doesn't have to be, you know, yeah. your best work. Just no a, big, it's big deal. Fun. Right, yeah.
1: right. All right. Thank you, Tony, and good night. Okay, and guys, be safe. You. Yeah. Bless you. Man.
0: And as always, in the troubled nation, we'd like to say, uh, trouble never ends.
1: But the struggle continues. Good night. Good
0: night.
2: i